right, welcome back to another episode of the Unison Church Podcast. We've been going through our series on 1 Corinthians, and so far we've heard a few things. We've read the book, we've talked about some tough topics through it, and we've uh, heard about our upcoming preaching series and how that relates to 1 Corinthians as well. And today is our first interview with someone who studied through 1 Corinthians with me. And so today I have um, Shannon Carbaugh, who is my mom and also somebody that has very active in our church she's been a pastor's wife for a long time and so i'll let her introduce herself and uh talk about what you do for ministry here at pond hill that sounds good well i'm happy to be here um like you said my name is shannon carbaugh and uh, i've been here at pond hill for uh, i believe 26 27 years um, and I guess I do a little bit of everything in the church. Uh, right now, I do primarily um, some of the AV uh, equipment, sound board. I also work with um, our computer system on Sundays. So, um, and then I also teach a ladies' life group. So, but over the years, I've taught children and um, taught life groups as well. So just a little bit of everything, I suppose. For sure. As well as some counseling as yes. well. Yes. Yes. Uh, my husband and I do marriage counseling primarily, um, but also I have counseled some of the, the ladies at church as well. It's awesome. It's awesome. Well, we had this group, for those of you guys that might just be joining us um, or maybe just listen to last episode, we had a group in our church go through 1 Corinthians. Uh, and we spent what, like three months in first Corinthians, maybe a little longer. We actually spread it out a little bit. Yeah. Um, so three, four months in first Corinthians, we went through, we were reading small chunks of it and following a study by Jenny Allen on right now media. And we were grappling with the text. It was yeah. a diff- difficult, difficult reading. I had to pull back when you said, we're going to do a podcast. I had to take out my notes and say, oh, no, that was three months ago. (laughs) So refresh my memory a little bit. Right, right. So, but um, there was a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. And I really did appreciate Jenny Allen's input, too. Yeah. I really um, liked her view. I liked the fact, I liked and didn't like the fact that she didn't really tackle the hard things. She said, I'm going to leave that up to your local church right? for a lot of the um, difficult topics. Yeah. But there was so much in it that was evident, like through right. the whole thing that is clear that God is trying to say this to us. Yeah. So, yeah. So I thought that was really good. Yeah. I feel like she did a good thing pointing us to the common threads and I think that's the most important part of understanding the book there's a lot of con- like you're saying there's controversial to- topics mm-hmm. and those topics there's like room for grayness you know right um and maybe we'll get into some of those but but yeah the clear stuff she did a really good job presenting and i felt like it was not like even though she didn't come down hard on some of the gray topics it's not because she was afraid of being confrontational. No. Because she definitely, I mean, the common thread of First Corinthians, like it's a corrective letter. So it's, right. so it's uh, definitely confrontational. And she certainly was still confrontational. Right. No, I think she was trying to be respectful. 
mm-hmm. of those listening and didn't want to say anything against a local church. Right. Which I, I thought that was very good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, we've got four questions to go through. So let's take a look at our first one, which is just what was your favorite part of First Corinthians? So I I started with a theme because it sort of has to do with my favorite part. Mm-hmm. So um, just the importance of understanding why we have this letter, First Corinthians, yeah, I think is really important to, to understand mm-hmm. that Paul would go to a city, establish a church, tell people about the Lord, introduce them to Christ, mm-hmm. and teach them. But then he would leave them. And so this church at Corinth is kind of in that position. And so maybe to someone who's unfamiliar with 1 Corinthians, it might seem like Paul is being a little harsh. So, um, but the reason that I listed this as one of my favorites is I love the relationship Mm -hmm. because Paul speaks about being a father. Right. And I really liked that, that inside the church... We have these mentors that introduce us to Christ or are with us through a difficult period, and they can say hard things to us, which is kind of thematic more than one verse, you know, but but I loved, I think that was definitely one of my my favorite portions. Um, I had a 1 Corinthians 14 talks about this, mm-hmm. and he says, you know, that I'm here to to train you and i i want peace in the church you know and then another portion of scripture he says when i come to you i want to come in love like as a as a loving figure not a not a corrective figure right both speaking almost like a father would to his children so i thought that was really um really good so another one of my favorites, I, I listened to your episode when you did your favorites, and it was the same. <laughs> it was oh, first, really? first Corinthians 13 mm. is probably um, by far my favorite chapter in the Bible. I love, I wrote it like exactly what you said really? in your podcast. I just listened to your podcast today and I laughed. I was like, oh, well, I guess that'll be a quick point. Nice, <laughs> so, nice. Just that it's nestled in in the... Um, what we call some of the gifts of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And we see that love supersedes all of those gifts. If you don't have love, you don't have anything from the spirit. So realizing that um, love is what is the most important in a, in a Christian's life. Mm-hmm. That that's where everything that we do should be out of that, um, that lens. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to read the, you know, 1 Corinthians 4, um, where Paul says exactly what you were you were saying. You know, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, for you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, and therefore I imitate you, uh, or I urge you to imitate me. Mm-hmm. And um, that's exactly what you were saying, that this relationship that Paul has with them right. allowed him to have like a corrective uh, role. Right. And um, that's actually a beautiful thing. Right. I think that's where we're seeing Paul's love in this too. Because mm-hmm. he's he's harsh in the beginning of 1 Corinthians. He, he's very harsh to them. But it's not, 
it's not a judgmental harshness. It's out of love. It's I want you to grow. I want you to mature in the Lord. And you're doing this. You know, let's let's change that. Right. So. Right. And then with regards to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, one of the things that I said in in my episode was, you know, I always hear 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just described sort of the greater context of what's going on. But um, what do you think, you know, when you hear people talk about 1 Corinthians 13, what do you feel like people are getting wrong? And what do you feel like people are getting right with that? Well, I think in the context of marriage, a pure love is this love that they're talking about for sure. So mm-hmm. I think that is good. But we tend to think of 1 Corinthians 13 as only in that context. Yeah. And that's not true. You know, we can have Christ's love to a friend, to even someone we don't even know. If we're, our church supports mi- the missions. And I remember one missionary in particular, they came and I, I was so happy to see them that I'm not usually like a raw huggy person. And I gave her such a big hug and I could tell I made her uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And it was because I had prayed for her and I felt like I knew her. I felt like I had this love for her and she didn't know me. (laughs) So I think in a sense, that's where that love is. It's like God unites you with someone. Right. And, um, and I could definitely see it in a family. I think I think as far as like earthly relationships, we see it the strongest it, with our children or with our spouse. We definitely, you mm-hmm. know, and I think that's why we use it in, in weddings. Right. But it definitely supersedes that. Christ's love is, is much more than that. Right, right. Our second question is, what was the most surprising part of First Corinthians? And this is this is a question I always like to ask when we're going through portions of the Bible because I feel like a lot of us have preconceived notions about different books of the Bible or different or just the Bible in general. And almost always, once you really start digging into um, the Word, even if it's a small portion or if it's a book or whatever. There's almost there's always something some kind of uncovering that happens mm-hmm. where it's either something that you didn't notice before or maybe that it's it's something that is creating tension with something that you thought was true mm-hmm. about this this book of the Bible or the Bible as a whole or Christianity as a whole um, and a lot of times it can catch us off guard so I like to ask this question what was the most surprising thing about First Corinthians? So I think maybe surprising slash question of questions your last question. Mm-hmm. Um, First Corinthians 7 was the place that I saw um, this, but I think it's also mentioned in another chapter. But First Corinthians 7.10, Paul is talking about marital status, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced. And he says, and unto the married, I command yet not I, but the Lord. And I thought, Why is he putting his two cents in? You know, this is supposed to be scripture. This is supposed to be Christ's words. Right. And Paul is saying, well, this is my opinion. And I just found that so strange, so surprising that he clearly denotes this is my advice, not Mm -hmm. God's advice. Right. 
Um, but I just, I don't know. My first thought was, why is this scripture? This is Paul's writing, you know, this is Paul's words. Yeah. So just, it's, I don't know. I, it wasn't like an aha moment. It's just like a, hmm. Right. You know, why right. is he doing that? Yeah. Yeah, for so. sure. It is kind of weird. And it's, I think it's particularly weird coming from a tradition like ours. Mm-hmm. Um, because not, not every person that reads the Bible has the same idea of what, of the nature of the writing of the Bible, right? Right. Um, and I would say, you know, coming from a more um, conservative evangelical background, the 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 teaching that we're given most of the time is, you know, every single word on the page is like exactly spoken by God, like into the ear or the hand of mm-hmm. the human author. Right. And that's how they do it. It's called verbal plenary inspiration. Um, and uh, some would take that a step back. Well, first of all, the, the, the assumption that that's where the authority of Scripture uh, lies is that every single word individually is from God. Um, uh, I think that assumption is actually the weakest part of that argument, is that the authority of Scripture comes from the fact that every single word was was uh, written specifically by God. I don't, I don't think that's actually where the authority of Scripture comes from. Um, to me, the authority of Scripture comes more, uh, fits, is greater than just the nature of its writing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ways is simply that this is something that's been used in the church, taught by the church for years and years and years, um, and it's been affirmed by the generations of Christians and by teachers. And so this would definitely be true of that of Paul's writing because it seems like even in the scripture Paul straight up says this is not something that was directly given to me by God. So right. to me the scripture right. itself actually um you know uh, somebody that's really into verbal plenary inspiration would say uh the Bible's kind of being tongue in cheek in moments like this because mm-hmm. this isn't the only place that something like this happens. Right. Um and uh to me I think that's like a that's like taking your theology and bringing your theology to scripture instead of reading the scripture and then crafting your theology based on what the scripture says. Right. Um, so even if that's the norm way that scripture was written, which I'm not even necessarily claiming that that's true, but even if it was that that was the case, um, it seems that in moments like these, that's not what happened. It's, right. It sounds like Paul didn't receive a direct right. word from God here, but he's saying, you know, and later on he's going to say, you know, I think I have the spirit too. Um, and he's going to say in the, in, in, in regards to this particular question, here's my opinion, even though I didn't hear a definitive answer from God to me, that's every bit as authoritative because again, it's affirmed by the generations of Christians as good teaching. It's also coming directly from uh, a source that spent personal time with Jesus, which in the new Testament, we have a high value on what we call, um, apostolic authorship or apostolic origin sometimes, depending on what you're talking about. And the, that's the idea that the person writing what's written s- spent time directly with Jesus. Right. And so they're firsthand. So their their word about what Jesus would teach is the most authoritative. Right. The eyewitness they, accounts of exactly. who was there. Correct. And we yeah. would we would still affirm that in modern logic or or like the legal system, we would affirm these firsthand accounts. So, right. um, so that's kind of the idea. So I think this sounds so un- uncomfortable to us because we're not, we don't have really space 
right. for for this kind of, of authorship. But a lot what I point a lot more people towards when I talk about how maybe we have more of a dynamic inspiration where God doesn't necessarily say every single word that's written down. Instead, um, he leaves some room for human authorship as well. Mm-hmm. And I think actually the, the, the interaction between divine and human uh, inspiration in, in the Bible is something that's really important mm-hmm. and it's congruent with the way that God works throughout history. And it shows that God's providence is bigger than just something that's like rote right. uh, and legalistic, like a verbal plenary right. uh, would kind of hold you to. But the place where I always point people to is in Revelation. And uh, in Revelation, John is showed this like huge vision mm-hmm. and an angel comes up to, to John and says, look at what you see and then write it down. Right. And then he, right. there's like a break and he writes, he describes the, the vision. And then sometimes the angel's like, wait, don't write that part. Right. So we see like a divine intervention in the writing process. Right. But certainly there are other places, like you think of the, the, um, the Torah, right? The first, the Pentateuch especially, uh, the whole idea of Exodus, uh, most of Exodus is that Moses literally ascended Mount Sinai, right? And God is, God is actually the one who wrote down like the 10 commandments, for instance, like he literally wrote those down. Um, and so we see that, okay, that is Mm -hmm. like the 10 commandments are certainly like verbal plenary, uh, inspiration because it's literally from God. Um, I would think even like the prophets where it says the word of this person from the Lord quotation mark, this thing, right. You know, that's definitely God's words. Right. So I would see levels of inspiration. And so I see that, um, this this part is we'll say quote unquote less inspired but if you don't have a separate theology of biblical authority like why something is authoritative if the only reason you think scripture is authoritative is because it was written word for word by god then this is like an uncomfortable passage Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i just don't think that i think authority is bigger than that right Um, it definitely lends to it being a letter yes you know, First Corinthians really does read as a letter, right? Which it was, right? Yeah, so. definitely, definitely. And the Corinthians had a very specific question for Paul here, right? And I think what what is here is like, okay, Paul's like, all right. So in regards to this question, here's a direct word from God. In regards to this question, there isn't a direct word from God, but based on what he has said, and all throughout, what's complicated about this passage is that he's weaving, yes, what you may consider his opinion. And what's absolute true from God. Right. He's weaving in and out of those two things. Correct. Every now and then he specifies. Sometimes he doesn't. Right. So it's hard to maybe see, you know, it, what it is. It really is. Yeah. I think that's what was surprising to me is right. that it's just right. a little hard sometimes Yeah. to figure it out. And certainly his background, I'm sure, carried through to his belief system. Right. You know, being a Pharisee, mm-hmm. he would have to marry you know, being a Pharisee and now being a Christ follower. Right. And you see that in some of his writings. Yeah. Um, which is great. I mean, I think that's, you know, being a Christ follower would fulfill the Old Testament, which is great. Right. But you're seeing, I think, some of that. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Certainly. Yeah, cool. That's a great one. That's a really uh, complicated passage. Yeah, I talked about that, but I talked more about the um, the theology that's in First Corinthians seven about singleness and marriage, and, yes. and what that what that means. Um, but yeah, even just the authorship of First Corinthians seven is surprising for yes. sure. Yes, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm.
our third question was, what was the most challenging part of First Corinthians? And this uh, might be the meatiest of the questions. What's the most challenging part? Because there's a lot of challenging parts. There are a lot of challenging parts. I actually have a couple. I, The biggest challenge to me is that we don't have the letter that Corinth wrote to Paul. Yeah. So Paul's answering their questions, but we don't know the questions. We only know the answers. So I think for some of that reason, the context can be kind of tough. Yeah. So I found that very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you you had brought up the um, women speaking in the church, and I, I believe that that's a direct answer mm-hmm. to it's, to some type of problem that was happening in their church. Yeah. So, um, so I think that it would have been helpful someday. Maybe we'll have that letter. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, you're speaking specifically about first Corinthians 14 there, I would imagine, right? The yes. let your women be silent in church passage there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which was, um, again, when, well, it's kind of the next one when you're asking for what questions, what lingering questions do you have? And I think that was your lingering question. So I actually, I have a different one. Nice. But, but, but that would be an, and I personally think that it's that maybe some women were disruptive within the, the actual church service and being disruptive possibly through tongues. Mm-hmm. So he was speaking to those women specifically. Got you. So that's what I think. Got you. So. So I think that definitely is a challenge right? to try to figure out what are they exactly talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that is a huge challenge. Like the, I think that's anybody that looks at this book should come away with that because there's some stuff in here that, you know, maybe it's situational, maybe it's not. Um, and trying to figure out what is absolute and what is not and what is contextual mm-hmm. um, is difficult. Honestly, that's one of the most, the hardest parts about studying the Bible in general. Yes. Um, is that it's an, it's an old text and some of it could be cultural, some of it can't. So I heard this podcast from the Bible Project guys and they were talking about one of the letters. I think maybe it was Galatians, mm-hmm. um, but it actually might've been one of the Corinthians letters as well. I'm not sure, but um or perhaps they have a series that's actually just about how to read the New Testament letters in general. So it could be that. And they made a really good comment um, that I think everybody needs to be like aware of when they do Bible study. And that is that all of us pick and choose what is and is not cultural. Mm-hmm. And just going into Bible study with that, we're, so, we're not, kind of like afraid to say that. Yes. Um, but the reality is, is that we all do it. Right. Like every denomination every tradition is doing that where they pick and choose what is and is not cultural Mm -hmm. and um some of these some of these passages have conflicting interpretations so where one group of people will think of it this way one group will think of it that way at the end of the day we have to choose one way or the other way right and that's okay and that's not a big deal um and i think if if we're just aware of it and we're not worried about that going in i think that could be Right. A, a paradigm shift going into these. I think that's important. As I know, even as a mom, I have three children, three very unique children. And my way of dealing with one isn't the same way that I would speak to another one. And it could be about the exact same conversation that we're having. 
but knowing your audience, I think is really important. And the theme will be the same, Hmm. my point to get across. And I think that's the way the epistles are. We can still get a theme or principles that we can live by, but maybe the delivery system might be different depending on whatever they're going through as a church. Right, right. We actually, we talked about that in our very first meeting together. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think we had an introductory meeting, but our very first meeting studying the scripture, and that's that uh, chapter in 1 Corinthians 1, um, where he says in verse 16, uh, oh, sorry, 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but it's the power of god to those who are being saved and he comes like he said not with eloquence but with simply the the message of christ and the interesting thing about that is that paul was in fact pretty eloquent right um right and if you read through acts you can see that that's the case galatians (laughs) as well if you think hebrews are written by paul certainly that right um you know so it's not like Paul never strung together eloquent words, right. but he saw that in in Corinth that the, what was going to be most effective was maybe more of like a matter of fact, right. simplified uh, approach. Right. And it, he was probably right because these guys were all puffed up on their knowledge. Right. So right. that's kind of what they needed. And he may in a different epistle speak eloquently. Right. It may it may be a totally different delivery system. Yeah. And he certainly does in Romans, which is essentially just like a logical right. case argument. Right. Um, and yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find anything else that was particularly challenging in the letter as well? I think that was the most challenging. I mean, definitely a lot of the things spoken about is a difficult pill to swallow, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely some hard hitting topics. Yeah. Uh, but I think the most challenging was just trying to figure out, you know, what, what does apply to me here? You know, what, what were some unique things that they were going through? And, um, and I think we could definitely walk away with that. Right. So just like the major themes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested to hear, and maybe this will lead into our last question, which is about what questions do we still have, but what did you see maybe in the book that you feel like was more contextual um, to the first Corinthians, you know, 2000 years ago? Like what are kind of the things that you're not choosing, I guess? Right. I think some of them um, was what you brought up in your podcast about the women being silent in the church. Mm Mm-hmm. Not that it was cultural, but I think it was a problem that this particular church had. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I don't know that that was like a cultural thing more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other issues that I had written down was um, meat given to idols, and they were they were saying, you know, whether it was okay to have this meat. Right. Presented to idols. We don't we don't really have that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in, sure. in our day and age in America. Right. You know, we're not we're not meeting that per se with that. Right. But we might be 
meaning something similar. You know, um, it could be um, entertainment. You know, is that wrong? Right. Pieces of entertainment because it's coming from heathenistic background, say. Mm-hmm. So I think some of the principles we could we could apply. Right. Even though we're not tackling that issue. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think definitely like head coverings, that whole. Yes. All of that. That was a good one. Yeah. Um, definitely seems to be pretty cultural. I think there's also yeah. like widespread agreement that that was. I think so too. Cultural. Yeah. I definitely think that. Um, what do you think about the the hair? Mm. Like a men with long hair or yeah. women with short hair. Right. I find that to be cultural. Some people die yeah. on that hill that men should not have long hair. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> so. I think it's ironic that any Christian would say men should not have long hair because almost every depiction of Jesus has I long so hair. Too. Yeah. Which doesn't mean that Jesus actually had long hair, but um, you well, know. definitely we know that Jewish men, especially the ones that took the Nazarite vow. I mean, we know that they had long hair. They yeah. braided. You know. They yeah yeah. Yeah, several, or at least, yeah. It wasn't messy long hair, but it Certainly. was long. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know that maybe the average Jewish person had long hair, but maybe longer than, like, a uh, certainly not clean not shaven. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the Nazarite vow, I actually heard from somebody um, I was reading. I'm blanking on what exactly I was reading. I was reading something, and they sort of mentioned offhand that uh, when when Paul was authoring 1 Corinthians, or maybe when he was in Corinth, he was actually under a Nazarite vow. Oh. Um, I'm not familiar with that argument. Mm-hmm. If he was under a Nazarite vow, then he certainly would have had long hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have what people, the classic that people point to is with Absalom, with his long hair, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where he's, you know, David's wicked son, and, and his long hair is almost treated as like a sign of his wickedness. Right. Um, but I, but I just don't, that doesn't stand up. Well, if up. you say that, we could say that Samson had long hair and it was his strength. Right. And he was supposed to keep the long <laughs> so, hair. Yeah. Right. Know. The long hair was seen as like a gift of God, directly right. tied to the blessing of God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, foolish to, to go that, yeah that route. U- ultimately what we're talking about is we're talking about gender stereotypes. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that men having short hair might that might have been a gender stereotype in you know the the teens ad Uh when this was written or or the you know the first century ad maybe that was a stereotype like we have today but then you know you look at all like the wigs and stuff that they wore and like colonial america well it wasn't then right uh so so yeah i don't know that that i think that's kind of kind of wild what i think is happening in that passage is that Paul is like playing with the idea of head coverings. He's kind of like toying, he's chewing on it a little bit. Cause he's like, Oh, you know, women should, should pray and prophesy with their head covered. And then he's like, well, this is why women have long hair. Cause they were given the hair as a head covering. But then later he goes back like, Oh, maybe they need to have their, they don't let them keep the head covering. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, but if there's any, you know, argument about this custom that right. we don't have another custom, like, right. I think he's, I think he's chewing on it and it's, and we're, we're not great at deciphering what is and what is not, um, you know, coming out of that process as, as authoritative. But I think by and large, people would say definitely no head coverings. And I think by and large, people are not going to be, 
um, pointing to this passage as a reason why men shouldn't have long hair. Mm-hmm. Um, some might, but well, I think definitely in in our circles, um, in our church circles, I've been I've been around women who cover their hair, mm-hmm. and that's fine. You know, right. I kind of look at it. I can I can love you. <laughs> that's fine. You know, not to use it as an area of division. Yes. If that's if that's their belief set. That's Definitely. Fine. Definitely. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which I mean kind of goes with the meat thing. Mhm. That's mm-hmm. kind of the the point of it, you know. Right. Yeah, definitely. So I know I um I had had that was maybe one of my favorites as well was um the theme of the the meat with idols. Mhm. And um, I loved that Jenny actually, in almost every session, (laughs) said some form of this. She said, it's better to lay down your rights than to have division in the church. Mm -hmm. And that, by far, is the theme that we're seeing in 1 Corinthians. Yeah. I think by far we're seeing that. And that's the whole point of head covering, no head covering, eating the food to idols, not eating the food, is that our brothers and sisters in Christ are more important than a head covering. Right. You know, than um, eating food that was previously offered to an idol. Right. So um, so I liked that. But I also liked that it's not a free-for-all. Mm-hmm. In, in the same vein, um, you actually said in your podcast, and I, I really liked what you said, that there is a line. Mm-hmm. And so knowing, yes, there are some gray areas and there's grace that can happen in those areas. Right. But then there is a line where, no, we're not to do that. Yeah. So keeping our churches pure with that line, I think, is important, too. Right. And maybe we don't like to talk about that as much. Yeah. You know, in the churches. Well, it's like messier. I think Mm -hmm. of this passage, and then there's one more passage, which is um, in Romans, Mm -hmm. where, again, Paul's like playing with this idea of the law and what that has to do with um, our our new salvation. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, you know, all the law could do was show me how much of a sinner I was. So what we do is we get rid of the law, and then I'm kind of not a sinner anymore. Yes. But again, we've got some incomplete thoughts in that passage and we kind of get to a resolution of it later on um which is probably a really controversial thing to say because a lot of people will quote those but they'll talk about that and they'll say like oh you know i'm free to do what i want and then paul says well should i use this freedom um and abuse this freedom so that grace may abound and he says god forbid which is like a cuss word that he says basically like he's like um of course not that would be insane Right. Um, That's what we're talking about tonight in ladies' group. Oh, no way. Cool. (laughs) Cool. So there's that. Um, And then there's this this passage about meat where Paul says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Right. And there's a conversation maybe between translators about what Paul is saying there. Is he saying that everything is permissible is a quote and that not everything is beneficial is Paul's response to the Corinthians' wrong thinking that everything is permissible right or is that paul saying theologically everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial Mm -hmm. for your walk with christ i've certainly been um raised and taught in our tradition that it's the latter Mm -hmm. that paul is saying yeah everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial so it's not it's not that you can't do stuff it's that some of the stuff that you can't do 
some of the stuff that you shouldn't do, you shouldn't do because it's not going to help your relationship with Christ, mm -hmm. which sounds good, mm -hmm. but it's also like contrary to everything else in the New Testament, mm -hmm. where Paul's constantly making lists and saying like, this kind of person, and this kind of person, and this kind of person, and this kind of person won't inherit the kingdom of God, but it's the people that are this, this, and this, you know, right. and talking about like the lusts of the flesh are this, 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 and this, aka don't do those things. Instead, follow the fruits of the spirit, which is this, 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 and this. Right. And um, it's not a legal code like the law was in that you're not going to be able to save yourself by abiding to certain moral laws. But what it is, is there there is a difference between how we conduct our lives and the way that other people conduct their lives. But it's not like specifics. Right. And we we want specifics. Right. Or we don't want anything. Right. And instead, what Paul is saying is like, there's an attitude that we have. That's right. Um, and then sometimes he will step out and say, there's a line that we should not be crossing. Right. And like idol, like blatant public idol worship seems to be one of those lines. Yeah. Which, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Because you're putting someone before God. Right. So, right. Or right. something. Yeah. But I think the, the thought of it's not about me. Right. It's about God, therefore other people. Right. I think if we can live that way, those little things, you know, wondering, mm -hmm. I don't know, should I go to such and such a movie? Right. You know, and then this is my, you know, dilemma. Right. right. Instead, thinking about the other person, I think is really important. Yes. So, so having those, that mindset on. Right. I right. think is really, um, maybe a different way of seeing things. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think Paul is, um, while he's identifying the clear line, he's also sort of teaching. It's not about the like do's and don'ts. Right. right? And I think that's maybe the better yes. um, interpretation of this passage is that like, Hey, yeah, there is a point at which um, none of you should be engaging in this particular kind of behavior. Right. But it's also, it's not about that. It's about your fellowship with other believers. Right. So if you're doing something that's causing division, then stop doing it, you know. Right. Which he doesn't pull any punches. You know, I just right. listed a couple things. I mean, almost every chapter he's talking about something. Right. You know, he talks about pride, sexual sin, marriage, idols. Yeah. So it's not like he is ignoring sin. Right. But over and over again, what's more important is the other person. Yeah. So I think that's that's the way we should be living too. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So what about uh, questions? Is anything like kind of left, left hanging, like uh, not still a little unclear or still kind of on, on the journey of understanding what's going on? I think the, the one resounding question that I had um, was in First Corinthians 14, mm -hmm. and this is talking about spiritual gifts, in particular speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. And whenever I've studied speaking in tongues in the past, um, I've, you know, had no problem with it. That sometimes God is gifted people with speaking in tongues for the purpose of bringing other people to Christ. Mm -hmm. There should be an interpreter present, which I think is very clear in 14. Yeah. But then 13 through 18, talk about praying and if we pray in this unknown tongue. And it really 
seems like when I was reading it um, this time, it really seemed like this is talking about just privately praying and speaking to God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess that is my um, lingering question is, is this different? You know, I just kind of, um, I guess in my, the way that I was raised, I know some people listening are probably laughing at me because <laughs> this is not a non-issue for them. Um, but I feel like maybe that's what this is saying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. Right. So I don't, do you want to read it? Yeah. I think it's worth reading the passage. So, uh, for, chapter 14, verse 13, therefore the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then I will pray, um, with my understanding, I will sing praise with the spirit. And I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how an outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you're saying. For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. So I think certainly the overarching idea of 1 Corinthians 14 is order yes right for sure um and he's about to get more into that when he talks about prophesying right and how when you let when people are prophesying don't all prophesy at the same time um if somebody's prophesying have other people um make sure that it's sort of approved right uh prophecy like it's somebody that's saying not just talking nonsense like they know what they're doing right and that's when we get our our passage about women uh, being silent is in that right context it's in there. yeah right um yes and... for sure and i don't have a problem with any of that i yeah. think that and i know this is almost like a not a parenthetical statement but it's sandwiched in right to the guidelines about keeping this in order yes right and so our tradition would definitely go and say and by our tradition i mean sort of like a conservative evangelical but conservative evangelical there's veins like uh, mm-hmm. Pentecostals are in that category mm-hmm. as well. They would certainly be all down for uh, tongues as like a unknown language, mm-hmm. you know, something that would sound like gibberish to somebody that didn't, right. th- that wasn't used to that right. um, as a form of worship for God. Um, my, our tradition, sort of like a more Baptist, mm-hmm. Anabaptist kind of tradition and I think mainline traditions would be in this place as well, where they would say that that is not at all a gift of the spirit, um, that it doesn't really exist, that it's kind of people right. making that up. Um, and uh, they would say that the the tongues that, the, that this is talking about is kind of what happened at Pentecost in Acts, where they spoke a language that they didn't know. Right. Um, so you suddenly are able to speak a language that... You don't know. I have um, one person in my life that has a, has claimed that they had both of those gifts, mm-hmm. that they spoke in tongues as in um, unintelligible language, mm-hmm. but they also um, understood other languages, that they were in a context where one time they were, they were in a non-English speaking service and they prayed and they asked God, like, hey, I want to understand mm-hmm. what the speaker is saying and that God granted them understanding such that... Maybe they didn't know every single word, but they understood the what the person was preaching about and right. what the 
And so they, it was the same exact person actually. Mm-hmm. So that um, makes sense though. I guess. That does. I guess. But even they, you know, they would make a distinction that mm-hmm. there are two different gifts and there's like un- the understanding of the language that you don't know and that this unintelligible private prayer language or in this translation, you know, uh, without speaking, without understanding. Right. So, right. Um, so there's two, you know, two different ones. I, I think that, that there's room to have, uh, two different gifts in the spirit. Mm-hmm. A lot of people read this passage, uh, and in more, in more specifically, they'll read first Corinthians 12 and 14 together. Mm-hmm. They'll skip over 13 usually. Right. 12 and 14. And they'll, go through and they'll identify every named gift of the spirit inside of those. Mm-hmm. And they'll say like, okay, administration. Okay. Apostle. Okay. Uh, prophet. Um, you know, and they'll go through those and okay, ministry and prayer and they'll do that. Right. And they'll make a list and they'll say, this list is, these are the gifts of the spirit. And then they'll have some kind of assessment. <laughs> so you can mm-hmm. determine which of those gifts is your gift. And um, I, that is like, to me, that's just so limiting. Mm-hmm. Why would we I do agree. that? Yeah. Um, God can do whatever it is that he wants to do. So. I think if you were to do that, that would be true of this moment, this day. Yes, sure. Because hopefully the Holy Spirit's using us all on different days, doing different things. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and in different contexts. Yes. Um, Depending on what is needed. Right. So. Right. I think that's a much more biblical understanding of spiritual gifts. So in that paradigm, sure, there could be an un an unintelligible language that's spoken that is sort of like your spirit reaching out to God or even right. the Holy Spirit speaking through you, reaching out to God. Um, I think it's hard to read this passage and deny that that could exist because right. it definitely seems like Paul's talking about he's using the word tongues for two different things. That's what it appeared to me too, that it's our spirit communing with God. Right. Whatever that may be. Yeah. And maybe the translators, I don't even know if there's a different word. Mm, the, yeah. the original word, that'd be something to look up. Different Greek word, yeah. So um, I don't know. That's something maybe I'll look into. Yeah. I think that's a great a great um, lingering question because it's one of those things where, like, you've looked at the text and you've said, like, oh, this is, this is different than what I was raised to believe, mm-hmm. than what I've been taught. And I think that that is... Um, a sign that you're approaching the scripture with honesty mm-hmm. and letting the scripture speak. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I talked about in our last episode with, uh, with dad was that, you know, we've got to be willing to listen to people that are different than us in the church. Yes. Um, and uh, perhaps they don't have it right. And perhaps we don't have it right. But uh, being able to listen to those people, right. um, you know, this assumption that what we've been taught has to be, exactly true and that anybody that doesn't believe that is just flat out wrong and maybe even not a follower of jesus at all right is just um it's ridiculous and yes. so um, isn't that what chapter one is about i'm right. of apollos I'm, yes that's you now you could say i'm baptist i'm congregational i'm catholic yes right you know and, right yeah i'm a tongue speaker right and you're not right right um so yeah i think that's if you know, I don't. I don't necessarily have the answer to that question myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in charismatic and um, charismatic context and non-charismatic context and contexts that are theologically charismatic but not practically charismatic, which is kind of where we are mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. here. Um, are, we're somewhere in the middle. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I've felt comfortable in all of those contexts because I think that um, there's a, a primacy of Christ central right. and um, trying to follow the scriptures as, as closely as possible. Mm-hmm. And that can happen with or without uh, the gift of tongues, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the spirit can do what he wants to do, whether right. it looks looks like my church or it looks like someone else's church. Um, that's fine. Right. Yeah. Cool. That's good. That's awesome. So for future reference, if that's a topic that you're interested in, that was 1 Corinthians 14, um, which is heavily influenced by 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 mm-hmm. as well. So if you'd like to study that further, that's where you would go. Can you think of anything else? Anything else that we have to say about First Corinthians? I don't think so. Oh, I think we I think we covered it. Ready for Second Corinthians. <laughs> Ready for Second Corinthians now. <laughs> Second Corinthians is so much easier than First Corinthians. <laughs> First Corinthians is the tough one. They got it together. That's what we'll say for Second Corinthians. <laughs> yeah, to a degree anyway. Yeah, it's even shorter. I think it has less chapters. Yeah, I think it uh, does. Yeah, so that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for putting in the work for the, I think probably of all the guests that I've talked to so far and will talk to, you're probably the one that did the most preparation. Oh, good. So good. Thank you for that. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what other people in our life group thought as well in upcoming episodes. Me too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for, for joining me. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Those that you have listened, uh, be sure to follow along for the next ones too. Thank you for having me. You got it. You've been listening to the Unison Church Podcast. If you're a Christ follower, I hope this has encouraged you to grow closer, not only to him, but also to his family. May we unite in our allegiance to him and raise our voices together to worship Yahweh. If you're not a Christ follower, I hope that this has represented Christ well to you. May this spark your curiosity towards Jesus and his people. In any case, I hope you'll connect with us again here on the podcast and share it with a friend. You can find links in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to us through other ways as well. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to being with you again soon.